Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the Bonfire Briefing Podcast. This week I talked with former Libertarian presidential candidate Sam Robb. We had an awesome conversation. We talked about ending the war on drugs, some of the different projects he's working on, and, according to him, the largest furry convention in the United States, which he attended not too long ago. Uh, I didn't know that I'd ever spend any of this podcast talking about furries, uh, but it happened. And uh, it was still a really great conversation. Hope you guys enjoy. There we go. We should be live. Sam Robb, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Taylor. I appreciate you inviting me on. Yeah, no, I'm I'm really glad uh, that you could join us today for the show. We were just we were just talking about um, you know some of the stuff you had been up to recently, and you mentioned Liberty Con um, in Chattanooga. I'm actually from Tennessee. I, I don't live there anymore. Um, actually, looking to go back here in a few weeks, visit some family. Uh, over Memphis area. Um, you, you talk a little bit about Liberty Con. What was it like over there? I, oh. wish, I, had, I wish I was in the back, back in my home state so I could have went. <laughs> it's, uh, Liberty Con was fantastic. I've been uh, wanting to go there for years, literally. Um, I got a, uh, a membership and, and registered to attend uh, back in 2019. Uh, and, uh, so you can imagine what happened in 2020 was that, uh, it got delayed and then it got delayed again and finally was able to go, you know, after, after three years, um, significant enough time delay for me that when, uh, when I registered, I was not a published author. And when I got to attend, I was, which was kind of cool, um, but uh, it, it really, it's a, it's a literary science fiction fantasy convention, uh, very much geared towards uh, authors and publishers. Uh, I'd say probably about a third, maybe, maybe more of the attendees were uh, writers or uh, publishers or related editors related to the publishing business. So it was very, very interesting to meet some of the people that I've been reading for, for years and in some cases, decades. Um, and get a chance to, to say hi to them and talk to them about uh, publishing business and about, about writing in general. Um, came out of there with uh, uh, a renewed <laughs> commitment to uh, sitting down and, and writing every day. So uh, I've got three things, that, three targets, daily targets now. Uh, I, want to, I want to do some writing, I want to do some editing, and I want to do some reading uh, to kind of keep myself, keep the, keep the uh, creative juices flowing. So it was a wonderful, wonderful time, had a ball. The f- people down there were amazing. Um, and not just the, the convention goers, all the people that we met in Chattanooga were fantastic. Uh, just loved the, loved the city, loved what we saw of it, uh, had an absolute blast. And uh, I think we're, we're going to try and go back next year and probably leave a couple of days before and after so that we can actually explore some more and, uh, get a feel for the town and uh, meet up with some people that we know down there because it was really awesome. Yeah, man. Chattanooga is, is an awesome little town. I, I, you know, I haven't been, uh, in, in quite some time, actually, it's been quite a while since I've 
I've been over there, but like that, that whole East side of the state is really just, there, there's some, I mean, all the way from Chattanooga, Knoxville, out, out towards some of the towns near the mountains, everything like that. It really is just a beautiful, beautiful part of the state, man. You'll, you'll definitely have to do some, some exploring next time you're down there. Oh, it, it absolutely was gorgeous. Just walking around, uh, town, uh, in the morning, I like to go out and one of the things I do is I walk and I take pictures. Um, and I think about things and that's, that's my thinking time and my, my, Oh, this would make a good story time. And, uh, just getting out and walking around Chattanooga, just all the sights to see. It was, it just oh, really man. tickled me. It was awesome. Yeah, no, it's, um, oh man. Yeah, no, it's, it, it's such a great town. Now you mentioned, uh, you know, before we hopped on another convention, one that I'm a bit less familiar with, <laughs> um, <laughs> that, that you also attended An- yeah. uh, Anthrocon. Is that the that Anthrocon? The yeah. Up in, I did, up in I, Pittsburgh. Up in Pittsburgh, uh, every year, uh, it's the lo- largest furry convention in the U S I believe it might, it might even be the largest furry convention in the world. Um, I've never attended Anthrocon, uh, never, never actually signed up and gone. Um, but every year I try to make it down to Pittsburgh, either, you know, either on a Friday or a Saturday, uh, just to walk around the convention center, check it out, see all the, see all the people in their fursuits. Um, it's one of those things that, that, uh, I mean, people put a ton of time and effort and creativity into, into creating these costumes. And it's, it's incredibly impressive. Some of the things they, they accomplish, um, the, uh, and, you know, honestly, as a, a, uh, as a libertarian, right. Seeing people and, and I don't, I hope no, no furries take offense at this because, because I mean it, you know, genuinely and honestly, uh, but just seeing you let your freak flag fly is <laughs> awesome. I, I, I just love it. It's fantastic. Um, they don't, yeah, they're just doing, doing themselves and being who they are and uh, uh, don't really care about it. And uh, it's, it's huge too. When I say it's the biggest convention, it, I think it's, uh, you know, like nine or 10,000 people uh, oh, this year. Damn. And uh, yeah, they, they sold out, I think 12 hotels or, or, maybe even more hotels in uh, downtown Pittsburgh. Um, so, I mean, we saw traveling through the city yesterday, we saw basically furries at just about every corner of the city at one point or another, <laughs> um, which is, which is kind of, I mean, it's, it's just, like I said, it's really, it's awesome to see. And, but I also, <laughs> I also felt bad. We saw a couple of, uh, uh, a couple of ladies that had taken taken off their their uh, heads on their fursuits. and uh, you could tell, yeah, maybe July is not the best time to be walking around outside <laughs> in a complete full body suit. Uh, but it just shows you, man, they're they're dedicated. They they want to get out there, and uh, the number number of people I saw posing for pictures with kids, uh, you know, with you know, folks, it just you know happy to be there and excited, excited to see that. Uh, there was a pirate game going on that let out about the same time that, uh, everybody was going to dinner. So we had two different crowds mingling and it was, uh, it was really kind of cool. Yeah. I actually went, I actually went up to Pittsburgh. Uh, let me, I'm trying to remember. It's been, it's been a couple months now. Um, it was my first time up there. I was 
you know, visiting some different friends. And um, one of the first things I did when I got there was go to a go to a Pirates game. And I can't remember who they were playing, but there, there was something almost 30 runs were scored. Uh, during the game and it, it was my first pro baseball game that I had ever been to I'm, I'm a pretty casual baseball fan but yeah uh, my you know my buddy is a pretty big fan so we went and, uh, it, it was <laughs> it was pouring down rain when we went, <laughs> which was uh, <laughs> which you know not something we had really planned for but uh, that's just that's just what happened and you know of course there weren't uh, that many people there because uh, they didn't want to get drenched, so we were able to move up and get some real good seats. And uh, awesome! No man, it was it was a really good time. I'm, I'm actually looking to go back uh, sometime during the summer. I, I live down in South Texas, and it's uh, the heat down here is pretty miserable. I think move you know spending uh, a week or two up north might not be a, <laughs> a, a bad idea. You have any any recommendations of stuff to do in Pittsburgh whenever I visit again? Oh man, there's a ton of stuff. You've got the uh, well, you've got the Pirates games, like you said. Uh, Riverhound soccer, that's uh, across the across the uh, the point from uh, the Pirates stadium. Um, the South Side's always fun. We've got a ton of restaurants on the South Side in the Strip in Lawrenceville. Um, it's really kind of a foodie paradise if you, if you're into trying different things. Um, Museums. We've got, you know, up in Oakland, you've got uh, the Carnegie Museum, Natural History. You've got uh, uh, the Mattress Factory, which is a, more of a modern art museum. Um, the the Warhol Museum. Um, you know, the Sci- Buell Science Center. Uh, you know, you can go tour the uh, USS Requin, which is a uh, World War II era submarine that is docked in the on the riverside down by the Science Center. Uh, Definitely ride the incline if you get the chance going uh, up and down the uh, Mount Washington. Uh, Mount Washington's a great place to just stroll and and uh, take some pic- pictures of the city. Uh, there's a, there's a ton of stuff to do, but uh, like I said, for me, um, you know, one of the things that I really enjoy in the city is just being able to w- walk around, check things out, um, see the different neighborhoods. Uh, see what's, you know, see what's going on. Every neighborhood has its own, own bit of character. Um, right. Squirrel Hill is different, entirely different from, uh, from uh, going up on Polish Hill, very different from Mount Washington, um, you know, in terms of, you know, restaurants and shops and everything. Definitely, if you do get the come down, uh, if you have the chance during the day, uh, go check out the Strip District. That is just a lot of fun. There's a ton of stores, ton of restaurants, uh, souvenir shops, all sorts of different, uh, you know, places that do metalworking, you know, chocolate, uh, uh, Pennsylvania libations, which is a, a uh, uh, one of the only non-state stores where you can buy alcohol and uh, distilled spirits. And they, they get away with that, I think, because uh, everything they sell is made in Pennsylvania. So, oh, wow. uh, it's there's some yeah there's some really there's some really cool stuff you can find if you just walk around and poke your nose in some places. Yeah, no, there there definitely is. It's a it's a great city, and uh, I think I'll I'll heed your advice. I don't think I'll be wearing a big uh, big furry suit whenever <laughs> I visit. You know, I I, uh, <laughs> I know it's probably not not quite as hot up there, but uh, still doesn't really sound like a good idea when you're walking around oh, the city. No. 
trying to visit. <laughs> um, but no, man, I, well, I wanted to, you know, really, really glad you could come on, uh, you know, the show I've been, you know, I, I've been seeing your tweets and following you a little bit. Um, and, I, you know, I wanted to ask, um, you know, how, how, how did you get involved in politics? What was kind of your start in, in getting involved in the political realm? And uh, how, how did you end up becoming a libertarian? Um, well, becoming a libertarian was, uh, uh, that happened, that happened a long time ago. Um, I've always been a fan of, uh, I've mentioned earlier, LibertyCon, uh, science fiction convention. I've always been a fan of, uh, Robert Heinlein, F. Paul Wilson, uh, L. Neil Smith, a bunch of other writers that are very libertarian. So, uh, for the longest time, I'd say probably back to about, 2000 or so, uh, I would describe myself as conservative, uh, or Republican with libertarian leanings. Um, maybe about a decade ago, uh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, the Mitt Romney, uh, nomination that really kind of pushed me out of the Republican camp and into the libertarian camp. Um, I didn't see, either party really interested in making any significant changes uh, or returning liberty to the people. So I decided to go with the, with the party that did. Um, and then uh, back in 2019 or so, decided uh, being a libertarian and having grown up in the United States where they tell you that anybody could grow up to be president, I decided to run for president. Uh, sought the libertarian nomination. Uh, didn't get it, obviously. Joe Jorgensen did. I was proud to be able to endorse her and uh, uh, spent some time in Pennsylvania working for her and on her campaign uh, with her and Spike Cohen. But uh, that was kind of kind of a feet first, uh, you know, getting thrown off the pier into the deep end sort of introduction to politics. Uh, I wouldn't recommend it necessarily, uh, but it, I did have a lot of fun. Got to meet some amazing people, uh, folks that my wife and I still keep in touch with across the country, uh, folks that I'm still working with. Uh, I'm on the board of uh, People for Liberty uh, with uh, Joe Jorgensen and Dan Fishman, uh, another a uh, couple of other gentlemen uh, that you might recognize, Jim Gray and Judge Jim Gray and uh, Jim Babka uh, from Downsize mm -hmm. DC. Uh, lady by the name of Chris Crawford, who's heavily involved in politics up in, uh, I believe, Massachusetts. Uh, so these are all people that I met through, you know, this kind of, esc you know, my escapades there and uh, got to know a bunch of people in Pennsylvania uh, that that uh, really got to be, got to be good friends with. Uh, Christine Kusler-Womack, who was my, uh, uh, I, I don't know if I was her right-hand man or if she was my right-hand lady, but the two of us were, were working together on uh, uh, Joe and Spike's campaign here in Pennsylvania and uh, couldn't have done it without her. And, uh, you know, she's, she is absolutely amazing. Folks, folks that, uh, you know, I would not have met otherwise, and I'm tremendously glad to have met. I'm also tremendously glad to not be as involved as I was <laughs> at the beginning because uh, it really was like having it campaign. The campaigning itself was, uh, was a lot of fun. It was, there was a lot of effort put into that, but it was a lot of fun. You got to travel, you got to meet people, you got to, to talk to people about all sorts of things. Um, 
after that, running Joe's campaign, getting involved in Pen- in Pennsylvania on the, at the state level with the uh, state Libertarian Party committee, um, it was like having a second job. I mean, right. literally, I would I got to the point where I would uh, I would wake up around seven o'clock, um, you know, let the dogs out, sit down with my laptop, uh, work for three hours before I had to, you know, uh, go to work, do my day job. Uh, I'd come home, eat dinner, and then I'd sit down and work for another four or five hours in the evening, um, helping candidates, you know, clearing up issues with election boards, uh, doing, you know, doing all sorts of stuff. And uh, decom- it's taken some time to decompress from that, but I'm actually really glad. That's one of the reasons why, you know, I have time, more time now for things uh Things that I that I really do enjoy, think you know, uh, making sure I could get out, get those walks, and decompress, um, uh, doing more writing, uh, just have it, just uh, kind of being able at this point to uh, look at different activities in the libertarian world and in the liberty world, and uh, figure out, okay, this is that here's some place where I can I can do something that that. Uh, I guess fits my talents a little bit better than, uh, you know, running, full, running full tilt and, and holding down a second job in politics. Yeah, I can, I can definitely imagine that, you know, run, running your own campaign and then, you know, going straight from that to working for, uh, Joe's campaign was, it had to keep, it kept you pretty busy. Um, oh, yeah. what, what were some of the big, uh, policies that you prioritized during your, your run for president. Oh, wow. For, for me, um, there were a couple, I kind of did an A to Z, which, uh, isn't really, I wouldn't recommend that for, for a, for a candidate. Um, having gotten some more experience, you know, you, you learn by doing sometimes, and sometimes you, you learn by failing or, or right. not doing things the right way. Um, my advice if, if for a candidate, if you're going to run these days would be, uh, you know, pick your, pick your top three. Your, your top three issues that you want to deal with and uh, focus on those. Uh, for me, looking back on, I would say my top three were probably uh, immigration, uh, the economy, and individual liberties. And uh, the, that kind of wraps up a, bun- a, a bunch of different, different aspects of uh, things that I talked about in policies. Um, Immigration, I, I thought and I still think that uh, immigration is what made our country great. My grandparents were immigrants My my on both sides of the family. Um, uh, you know, I work in an industry. I'm in a, so- a software developer. I work in an industry where we have a lot of people that come to the U.S. on visas to work here uh, and end up either staying or, or uh you know, getting, you know, going through the steps to become, uh, naturalized citizens. Um, so it's, it's one of those things where I, I, you know, I've had to deal with the immigration service myself. Uh, my three daughters are all adopted from overseas. So, uh, I've got an, an insight into just how tangled that process can be. And, uh, it's a mess. It really is. And it's, it doesn't serve our country well. What uh, what we really need is a return to uh, a more per- the more permissive model, the Ellis Island sort of immigration model that we used to have, 
Uh, right now, we basically say, hey, we'll, we'll let you in if we think you're good. Uh, right. Ellis Island used to be, hey, we'll let you we'll let you in unless we think that you're going to you're going to be a problem, unless you've got a criminal history, you've got got some medical problems, whatever. Right. But it was uh, it was much more permissive. Basically, hey, if you want to come to America, if you want to be an American, we want you here. And that really is what made America great. That's what allowed us to to grow and expand. And uh, you didn't really see, I don't think, uh, a lot of problems with immigration until you started getting into larger government, um, you know, getting getting the federal government more involved in uh, what's going on. So, you know, I think, you know, number one, I would have said return to return to immigration, uh, immigration to being much more permissive. Um, number two, economy, just get the, get the government out of the economy. Uh, it puts its thumbs on all sorts of scales, causes all sorts of problems. We're seeing that now with, with, uh, gas prices and, and, uh, you see it through with various different laws, uh, you know, certificate of need laws for, for medicine, uh, where the state or local government says, yeah, we're, yeah, we're not going to let you. Uh, for example, we're not going to let you put another, an, another, uh, MRI machine in a County unless all your competitors there agree that they need an, that there should be another MRI machine facility, um, which is absolutely ridiculous that you would run things that way. But, right. uh, that's the way we do in a lot of, a lot of ways, uh, licensing, occupational licensing laws. A lot of those are nuts. Pennsylvania, we have state stores. I mentioned that, uh, earlier, um, where the it's the government actually you know they have a monopoly on selling uh, distilled spirits and alcohol. Uh, it, it's really kind of nuts the the way that the government gets involved in the economy and really let's pull back from that. Let's 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 get the government out of interfering with our with our economic relationships with each other. And then, uh, like I said, the la- last one was uh, you know kind of individual liberties. And uh, that was that's kind of a catch-all for a lot of things, um, you know. Examining examining our civil liberties in the United States, where we stand on that. Um, taking a look at uh, one of the phrases that uh, that came up a lot was uh, "defund the police," and mm-hmm. was really it was really interesting for me, right? Because I agree with that one hundred percent. But I'll, I'll put a caveat there. I. I I'd like to ch- I liked to change that and say we should be defunding law enforcement uh, because police are supposed to be peacekeepers. They're supposed to be there for for what you know, just like the fire department. If you have a problem, it's somebody that you can call to help you out, right? You don't have the fire department going around and and uh, you know coming onto your property and there yeah, we're going to do a surprise inspection of your house or or you know whatever uh, you. They're not. They're not looking for looking for problems. They're there to help you solve problems. Uh, we moved from a you know a, a model of policing in the United States that used to be the very you know kind of the Pelian uh, uh, you know community policing where police officers were members of the community that that basically had the same responsibilities as everybody else in the community to keep the peace to. To uh, make sure that that everything functioned smoothly societally, um, but they did it full time, as opposed mm-hmm. to you know people doing it part time, and uh, 
I think we really we really need we would be served incredibly well in the United States by by stopping to take a look at that at what's happened to our peacekeepers at what's happened to our police forces that has changed them from that from being peacekeepers into being law enforcement because you know, when you stop and think about keeping the peace and enforcing the laws are two entirely different things and it's i think it's our our view of the police as oh there's laws that they need to, that they need to to make sure that everybody follows versus you know what we're going to make we're going to make sure that that nobody's hurting each nobody's hurting anybody nobody's taking anybody's stuff that uh we're keeping our hands to ourselves as uh I think it's uh, Sergeant Tom Cotton from, uh, uh, oh man, what's Bangor, Maine Police Department uh, likes that likes to use that phrase. You know, uh, keep your keep your hands to yourself, be kind to one another. Uh, very libertarian thoughts, but uh, aside from that, you know, the police should be there as a resource when we are in trouble, not something that is out there that we have to be afraid of. So there, there you go. Those are, those were my three big ones. Right. Well, what, what do you think caused that that shift um, in our in our law enforcement? Because, you know, I, I definitely think you're right. They you know, they they used to be a a more peacekeeping force. But uh, I don't know that <laughs> I don't know that anyone, regardless of where they are on the political spectrum, would describe them really as that now. Uh, what, what do you think caused that shift? I mean, was it and, and how, how could we maybe go back to, you know, that that more preferred um, method of policing, you know, is it something to do with with yeah. training and recruitment? I mean, what 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 are some what what are some tangible solutions there? You think that we could use to maybe fix some of the problems that we're seeing way way too often? I think it, I think that the root of the problem goes back to uh, prohibition, right? Mm-hmm. It's a, an experiment that we had with, hey, let's let's go ahead and. Uh, uh, outlaw alcohol in the United States. And we saw how well that worked. Um, we actually are continuing to see how well that works, even uh, here a century later, right? Because it was prohibition that gave rise to uh, organized crime in a lot of a lot of places in Chicago and New York, uh, crime families that have continued on to this day, um, organizations that have continued on to this day. Uh, Really, you know, and you saw that replicated in the 50s, 60s, 70s with the war on drugs and, and again, continuing right. today. Um, or as I think uh, Joe Jorgensen liked to like to say, uh, and I think I heard Spike say this at least once or twice too, the war on some drugs. Right. Uh, yeah. If you if you if your drug of choice, like Joe Jorgensen is, is uh, bourbon. If your drug of choice, you know, uh, like so many other Americans, is nicotine or caffeine, then that's quite okay, right? Um, it's just some drugs that uh, that the government has problems with. Um, I think the war on drugs really, the, this prohibitionist regime, uh, is really what has funded, fueled, and driven us from the. Uh, Andy Griffith style community police, you know, uh, into, into this law enforcement realm. Um, because uh, you you task these guys with doing the impossible. 
with with rooting out uh basically okay you, you you need to go keep people from smoking but not smoking in general smoking this one particular plant that uh that seems to be popular and it can be done anywhere it can be grown anywhere and you don't get you don't achieve any measure of success there without an, a surveillance state without essentially moving to a police state um and even then you can't win we know that we know we know, we know that very well from from uh from history that there's there's nothing that's going to completely eradicate that and even getting to the point where where you kind of can kind of limit those those uh uh, the availability of those substances to the population in general, um, you're you're doing it in a way that causes more harm than good. Um, you know, not to not to, you know, we we kind of saw that recently, right? In uh, with COVID, where the response to it, where we're starting to see, and I mean, libertarians pointed this out from the beginning. We, you know, I did, you know, Joe and Spike did, we all did right. That the response was going to cause more damage than the disease ever could have. And uh, we're starting, we're actually starting to see that that's, that's exactly where we are. And uh, what we're, what we're seeing, what we saw with, uh, with alcohol prohibition, what we're seeing with the, the war on drugs is that the effort to, you know, eradicate the, those, you know the use of those substances. The the uh, the response to that is causing far more damage than than the the you know the drugs themselves ever could have. So uh, honestly, you know, if we want to reverse this this situation that we're in, end the war on drugs. Get rid get rid of it. Legalize marijuana. Go to you know possibly even go to. Uh, um, trying to think what the what the country is portugal i think did a a decriminalization model where they basically said yeah we realize that you know you there are some people who are going to use these and use these drugs and we're not going to criminalize we're not going to criminalize use that opens you up to hey it's a lot easier to say to go to your your counselor or go to to your employer and say hey i need help I'm right. dealing with substance abuse issues. I need help. And, I, and know that you're not going to end up in jail. You're not going to end up fired. You're not going to have your life ruined. Um, and, and we're kind of kind of in that situation where, where you can do that a little bit. But uh, we need, I mean, we really need more. We need to recognize that, that uh, drug use often is not a, it's not, something in and of itself it can be but a lot of times what you have uh what you see with with alcohol abuse for example what you see what you can see with uh uh overuse and abuse of marijuana or other other substances is not hey i'm you know i'm an addict because i want to be an addict what you have is i'm an addict because i have some underlying mental health issues or i have some underlying history uh you know talking, you know, undiagnosed PTSD, whatever it is. And this is, I found the way to, to medicate myself. I found the way to try and deal with what I've been going through because I didn't understand what it, what it, what it was. A lot of times I think our, our drug abuse issues that we have our mental health issues. A lot of times I think our policing issues that we're, that we're, we're dealing with are war on drug issues. Um, 
if we would understand that and if we change our viewpoint, if we would stop prosecuting people for growing a plan, if we would stop prosecuting people for trying to treat their pain, uh, whether mental or physical, I think we would go a long way towards getting some balance back in this country. Yeah, I th- you know, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it's, it's, it, you know, the, the time to end the war on drugs was before it ever even started. And, and we've been yeah. continuing this, 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 this policy that we know does not work. We know it doesn't work. And like you said, it obviously does more, more harm than good. It doesn't, it doesn't really be, seem to be doing any good as a matter of fact. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, and, and we've, we've got to wrap up here uh, before too long. I'm actually talking to uh, Dan Berman um, in, in about, well, half an hour or so. Um, oh, fantastic. Yeah. Tell him I said hi. Dan is a fantastic guy. My wife loves him. He is, he is awesome. Yeah, no, he's um, yeah, no, he, he really great guy. Can't wait to, uh, to talk to him. I'll absolutely let him know you uh, said hello. There's, there's a couple more things I wanted to talk to you about before we hopped off here. Um, and, and you talked about it a little before, but uh, the People for Liberty group that you're with, with, with mm-hmm. Joe and, and those other guys that, uh, that you mentioned, you know, what, um, you know, what, what all are y'all involved with over there? What, what's y'all's kind of mission, your purpose? What, what kind of things are y'all involved with, um, with, with that group? Um, well, right. Th- one of the things that we're doing, I like to uh, describe it as uh, we're trying to help pe- liberty minded people who want to do liberty minded things, connect with other liberty minded people. Um, we're working on building communities uh, online, so you know, and social communities, build, building out uh, uh, event calendars to help people understand what's going on in in activities they can participate in. Um, we're going to be working on uh, trying to uh, help people identify and connect with people uh, working on you know legislative issues that might concern them. Um, but the, the whole goal is to, one, to help people who are interested in liberty and freedom and uh, individual rights to connect with one another, to build a community, uh, but two, to also find those people who have specific interests, specific liberty interests uh, in one particular niche and kind of expose them to the idea that what they're seeing may not be uh, just one, you know, just their particular issue that that uh, is an issue, uh, an issue of liberty, but that their same concerns in, for example, with uh, uh, you know, the war on drugs, the same same issues that they have with uh, uh, dealing with. Uh, you know, government involvement in the medical system, the same issues that they may have with government schooling, uh, carry over to other areas mm-hmm. so that, you know, the, and honestly, the idea is to take people who are kind of libertarian in, in one area or liberty minded in one area, right. And get them to think, you know what, maybe this, maybe this isn't just this part of the you know, part of the, the government that's a problem. Maybe it's a lot of the parts of the government that all seem to have these same issues. Um, and just build out a community of people who understand, uh, you know, uh, 
Garrett Johnson said, right? Most people are libertarians. They just don't realize it. Uh, We'd like to help them realize that, yeah, this is, this is where you are. This is, this isn't unusual. This the fact that you, that you uh, think that our government is too big and that our government has too much power and that our government should, uh, should back off and, and let people just live their lives. That isn't a radical idea. That's, an, that's the American idea. That's the foundation of the country. I mean, we're celebrating it this weekend, right? We basically right. told the British to leave us alone. Let us live our life the way we want. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to get people to understand that, hey, whatever, whatever sphere you're in where you're saying, you know, I, I, see, I see the government causing problems here. It's not just there. It's all over the place. Man, it, it, it's awesome that y'all are doing that, too, because I, I, I feel, like you said, I feel like being a libertarian is kind of the, the default setting for most people. They, they just don't realize it because the, because of the way our political system is set up, really. Yep. You know, you feel like that if you're if you're not a Democrat and you're not a Republican, then you kind of just don't belong. You know, and it, it makes people feel politically isolated, like they don't have any allies, that they don't have anyone that's trying to get involved with the system and, and make the changes that they want. But in reality, we're all, you know, not not everyone is a libertarian. But like you said, I feel like most people are. They just they don't know it yet. And they don't, you know, in a lot of places, they don't see other libertarians out there fighting for them. So they, you know, they kind of just feel feel alone so it's it's really awesome that that y'all are doing that and helping people get connected and and get more involved man that's that that's really awesome Um, well thank you we're trying you know just one last thing before we hop off here um uh, tom queter is a is a mutual connection of ours he was Mm -hmm. he was on the podcast a while back um you know had had a really awesome conversation with him uh, you know you you said you've been working with him uh on a project uh with a group that he made uh, what, what kind of stuff are y'all working on? I'm, I'm real curious. Well, uh, for for those of you who are not familiar with Tom, uh, Tom is wheelchair bound. He's been uh, basically. Okay. All right, now we're back on after after some technical difficulties. <laughs> <laughs> not not entirely sure what happened, but uh, but we're back. Um, but yeah, if you just if, yeah if you just wanted to talk a little bit about uh, you know the project that you and Tom are working on and. Um, what y'all are doing with that. Yeah, that, that actually, uh, I, I started to say Tom is, uh, for those in your audience who don't know him, uh, is wheelchair bound. He has been for, uh, uh, basically since, since, uh, since he was a child. Um, and, uh, the wheelchair model that he likes that a lot of people, uh, yeah, not, not just, not just, uh, not just him, but a lot of people, uh, in his situation that, that basically are, are quadriplegics or, or paraplegics and, and need uh, a wheelchair constantly, uh, his wheelchair design is fantastic. Uh, it's, it's head and shoulders above just about anything else that I think you can find out there. Um, but the, uh, the uh, chair itself, uh, the company that made it was sold and then uh, the company that, that took them over as you, you know, might happen, when, when this happens, the, the design of the chair was changed um, and it got away from the, what made it so attractive to, to Tom and a lot of other people. And uh, some, of the, some of the patents on the, the chair uh, are 
uh, either expired or going to be expiring. And uh, we're looking at uh, basically recreating this design that so many people liked. Uh, Tom got in touch with me because I'm a software developer. Uh, he's actually uh, been in communication with uh, Dan Berman, which I, I believe you said uh, you're going to be talking to soon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, this is really it's it's an incredible story uh, because you know Tom's current wheelchair and uh, kind of his, his, the I think the uh, the backup wheelchair that they they have for him uh, have all been crowdfunded through you know from uh, libertarians. Uh, the government really is kind of at a loss for what to do because with, with Tom, because I, I think he uh, was supposed to have, you know, uh, passed away when he was like 12 or something. So uh, he's pushing 40 and <laughs> still going, running for Congress and, and, uh, right. you know, doing all these projects. But uh, he is a, he is an amazingly tough guy. He is very dedicated. And uh, what he saw in his life was that uh, the government wasn't really able to help him. Um, you know, it was voluntary uh, associations and libertarians and, and liberty minded people that stepped up to give him a hand. So uh, we're looking at building a probably, you know, building out a team to uh, work on maybe recreating this this wheelchair design. Um, I've got contacts, you know, here in uh, Pittsburgh at Carnegie Mellon University might might uh, try and reach out to some people there to see about providing some input, uh, some advice, some technical expertise. Uh, yeah, Tom's, Tom's got Dan, who is actually uh, he's another software developer. He's a tremendous guy, incredibly smart, uh, a bunch of a bunch of other people involved with the project. Uh, Lauren Postler, who was uh one of the founders for people for Liberty, um, you know, just some really great people with a really, you know, a really great vision of, Hey, here's, here's something that, uh, that people loved that we can, we can, uh, you know, recreate or, or improve upon and get out there and show people that, you know, this, this model of voluntary cooperation works for something that's really, I mean, when you get right get right down to it, incredibly detailed, very significant, um, you know, in terms in terms of money and, and time and investment, but uh, I think uh, long term is best served by making it as open and as available as possible, uh, rather than you know trying to, uh, I guess you know kind of lock lock it in and make sure that you're you're controlling it. Um, so that that's a, a tremendous vision from from Tom and his team, and I'm really pleased to be able to work with them uh, on this, even you know in whatever small capacity I can. Man, that that's awesome, man. And you're you're right. Tom is such an awesome guy. I was so you know I was very fortunate to have the opportunity to talk to him. I think it was I think it was early last month. You know, we sat down and talked and. I mean, he really is just a just an awesome guy, and I, you know, and I've I've really enjoyed our conversation too. I'm really glad you you came on the show, and um, we, you know, we talked about a lot of interesting stuff, man. I you know, I really appreciate you uh, coming on the show. Oh, I lo I loved it, man. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's not it when when you have a conversation that can range from uh, 
you know, science fiction conventions to furries to uh, what to do in Pittsburgh and <laughs> and uh, wheelchair projects. It's it's just awesome to be able to talk to folks. Thank man, you so much. Nothing is off limits on this podcast. <laughs> you're, you're welcome back anytime, man. And uh, yeah, I got to hop off here to go talk with Dan. I'll be sure to let him know you said hello. Please do. And thank All you right. again for having me on, man. All right. Thank you. I appreciate it. That was my conversation with former Libertarian presidential candidate Sam Robb. I really enjoyed our talk. He's got some great ideas, and he's working on some really awesome projects, including one that he's working on with Tom Queter, who was on the podcast a few weeks back. If you enjoyed the podcast, be sure to follow Bonfire Brief Pod on Twitter so you don't miss out on future episodes. Next week, I'm talking with Dan Taxationist Theft Berman another former Libertarian presidential candidate and former 2022 Texas gubernatorial candidate. You're not going to want to miss that one either. Thanks for listening.